This week on World Stories in the End, I'm joined by one of my co-presenters on the Strangers in Space podcast, one of my co-writers on a number of projects, and a man who, if you know exactly where and when to pause the episode and peer at the sea of extras dressed up as zombie peasants, has actually been in Game of Thrones. But we're not here to talk about events in King's Landing. We're going to Woodwick, in New York, in 1799, to celebrate the first Doctor Who novel, by Lawrence Miles. It's Christmas on a rational planet. Please welcome John Arnold. That's it. The gold doubloons. I don't know. How do you identify if you could be in any of the houses of Game of Thrones? Do you see yourself more as a a Lannister, perhaps, or a Stark? I was in King's Landing, so it was... I guess guess I'm a Lannister by default on that one. I I was, yes, King's Landing scum. (laughs) Literally, they just called you flea-bottom male or ever. Right. Oh, wow. (laughs) So it's, I'm not going to do it. It's not like a formal kind of interview because you didn't write the book. I didn't write the book. So I just I just like chatting <laughs> about did it. Really. Or did you? Did you? In a, in a sense, didn't we all? Hmm. I, a lot of people did. There's a lot of references to a lot of TV shows in this book. Um, so I feel like it had a lot of a lot of authors, but none of them quite so infamous as Lawrence Miles. I know very little about him. Do you know much about him? Yeah, I knew him a bit back in the day, because I think as per at least one previous guest, I did attend the infamous Fitzroy Tavern for a little while in the early 2000s. I wasn't particularly in with the authorial crowd or the cool kids. I just hang out on the edge. Although my friend who once brought his girlfriend along to the Tav, a romantic date, as you must know, once said that they were two interesting people at the tab, and that was me and Tat Wood. Right. I'm not sure you'd take that as a compliment or not. So, so we're saying that all the all the fiction writers are kind of self-obsessed, venal people with very little to recommend them, and it's the quiet expert people who are where the where the action is. Hang on, who's on my friends list here? I'll have to check. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, Stephen Moffat was there, so yes. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes. I'm wow. officially more interesting than Stephen Moffat, according to her. I'll take that every time. <laughs> That's going in the show notes. Oh, wow. So I'm fascinated by the idea of of taking your date to a meeting at the Fitz. I mean, presumably it wasn't a first date. You'd have to be quite well no. established. No, it was at least a third or fourth, I assume. It was the first time I met her. I, I mean, you, you, you don't just plunge someone into the tab without warning. Really not, no. I mean, I was still kind of in... So, denial's the wrong word, but I, I wasn't making much mention of being a Doctor Who fan at the... Certainly at the point I read this, because I was, you know, trying to get off with girls. Oh, and yeah. um, 
know. I think it's weird because I had a girlfriend at the time who lived down in West Sussex, and I'm obviously down up in Wales. It's, and I, I, you know, as you have a long train journey, because the train journey is, shall we say, not the fastest. It, it just, it, you know, that that's where I read most of my new adventures. I'm going to guess that journey is at least six hours and 58 minutes. Oh, it's about closer to three. I, I was really? Yeah. Well, it wouldn't be now. Jesus. No, it was, it was down because it was a straight line down to I think it was Portsmouth and then slightly across. Okay. Oh, God, yeah. And I remember there was there was a conductor on one of those trains. He had he actually had as he went by in his trolley with his his delights. He had a new adventure in there. So it's it's like oh, a new new adventure. Yeah. So we got a new adventure. So we had we had like a half hour conversation on it. It was That's great. amazing. I met one person who was reading a missing adventure during the whole nineties, and Ooh, he turned which, out which to be a. Adventure? It was called Fusion. That's not a bad choice. But, no, but he was a terrible person. Oh, so yeah, it was a really right. unsuccessful conversation. I was like, oh, uh, I haven't read that one. Is it any good? I really like the new adventures. And he said, oh, that's all about telling people how to be benders. Oh, so is I that thought, the bad therapy? Oh, oh, I don't want to hang out with you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the bad therapy conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, dear. So that's, that's Doctor Who fans for you. <laughs> <laughs> They're a welcoming people. bunch. <laughs> if you bump into the right ones <laughs> so can you remember what you what you thought of christmas actually before i even start talking about the book so euro 96 was that june or july uh, it was july when the yeah july was the semi-final and the final which was obviously mm. the, the big moment i think it kicked off in july and it would have gone into sorry kicked off in june and gone into july right so so it so it kind of started out all right under God engine, but then we got, <laughs> but then Gareth Southgate whacked it over the woodwork, um, and we can blame uh, Lawrence Miles for that. So England's misery, you're saying for twenty seven years now, is entirely down Lawrence Miles, is what we're saying. Well, and a little tiny bit of Gareth Southgate, but I don't like to really sort of open that wound anymore because he's done such a good job as manager that I feel he's already kind of earned back what he what he owed us after that embarrassing oh, penalty. God. Yeah now now I'm trying to work remember what the new the missing adventure was so that we can maybe put a joint blame in <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what did, just to kind of you know start talking about the book what did you make of it at the time you read it, which I'm guessing would have been July 96. It was because I'm tragically the, the person who bought all the new adventures, missing adventures, PDAs and EDAs in the month they came out. So I was there for Time Worm Genesis. I was there for Atom Bomb Blues. <laughs> so Good man. I, I, only, I only bought all the new adventures the same as you when they came out every month i didn't bother with the missing adventures because do you remember there was that paul cornell quote about pastiches are very crap and narrow little mm. art form and i thought yeah i don't need more adventures about the third doctor so and, I, and I then left paul that. went and wrote the first one right <laughs> <laughs> so um and with with the eighth doctor books i didn't get that far into them at the time so I've I've bought one of those four ranges. You've bought all four, so you're like god level, and uh, I'm like playing it. I'm playing <laughs> it on easy settings. 
with all the assists turned on. You're doing it right, is what you're saying. Well, I no. <laughs> and now, now you're desperately scrabbling around the the back corners of e-books of Amazon of used sellers. It was Def- um, like like a junkie. You it was a books, a and it was it was last year. I managed to get all of the EDAs with five exceptions, Ooh, and I've got the PDFs of those. I didn't. I I wasn't going to spend three hundred dollars on alien bodies. No, Although it's good. It is good. It is good. But is it that good? Um, when I've got a Matt Smith box set, I can I can watch all the ideas from Alien Bodies and that. <laughs> um, and there's a couple towards the end that you just can't get hold of, I think, because the, they didn't print as many by that point. Oh. So there were only oh, 20 they, copies printed. They might do. I think all the spare copies at the end were pulped and they were sent. They were sent to Romania to line up to view all the fires of the orphanages over there or something like that. I think that uh, was a rumour. Oh, I mean, I want to say that's a good thing to do, but bloody hell. <laughs> all right. Anyway, so so you got all the books. I I was yeah. a I was in and out like some kind of naughty. Yeah. I, I should point out that I I have it has been said by other people, not by me, that Steve Moffat has also stolen one of my ideas. But <laughs> which idea was that? Well. I again this uh, as as Mr. Barber explained when he was on th- there was this book which we are forbidden to talk about called Seasons of War which has some <laughs> dubious characters now associated with it. Yes, yes. I, I wrote a story which was I think two stories after Matt's actually which was about a Time Lord prison <laughs> which was essentially the War Doctor in a time loop being tortured to death repeatedly. Ooh. Very. Um, did he at any point have to punch his way through a diamond wall? Or, or, or... <laughs> no, no, he did. He got. I, I went more for the cartoon deaths. So like, uh, I, I oh, crushed, brilliant! Crushed by a piano, like falling from <laughs> the sky at random. Uh, uh, choked on his own farts at one point, I think, and oh. uh, drank a ton of Tipex. Or <laughs> killer, at one point, he went on penguins a... as well. He went rabbit. on a three-hour visit to all of his former companions and got so bored he killed himself. Yeah, um, it's coincidence because coinc- coinc- it's just an obvious idea for a time lord torture chamber. So I guess what I don't understand about that. So, so there, as you say, there's a there's one or two bad eggs associated with that book now. So why not just remove their stories and and reissue it as slightly fewer seasons of war? I've got a PDF, so I probably could. The editors. Uh, off, gone off the face of the globe. So, oh. no, so no, no one's really in search with him. But, I see. Uh, mm. Well, all right. Let's let's anyway. let's get around to Christmas because it's um, it's Christmas before we get rain. To it, is what you say? I want to say it's April. I've got very little. I'm having uh, a very bad day, and I've got no idea what month it is. It, it, it's it's Easter on an irrational planet. Right. Good. Excellent. So, what did you make of this when you first read it? Well, I, th- I think it was, what the hell was that, <laughs> was fundamentally my my response. The guy, I mean, the thing you go is, this guy's obviously a good writer. He is, because, you know, the way he, he puts a pretty sentence together, he puts lovely ideas, you know, there's the opening bit, it's very, very fairy tale, you know, the, the bit about the darkness of thing. And, and then you're going, <laughs> I have no idea what I'm reading, but it's great. And... The one thing I really did love about it, it's one of the best books for Roz on there. 
you know, she's essentially yeah. the main character of the whole book, and she has a proper thought out personality as reacting as someone from her century would do, or as a background would do, and as someone who would be subjected to the racism of the time would do. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? It was a really strong book for Roz. I think, I think when I first read it, and again, this might be because I was still slightly hungover from the football because that hangover <laughs> lasted for about three years. Um, uh, and I until Dave back his penalty, maybe. <laughs> and then it was um, another hangover. <laughs> uh, what a terrible time the 90s was in, an, <laughs> in a number of respects. Um, but yeah, I, I, I remember thinking it was very well written, but I didn't really understand what was going on in it because I was quite... I suppose I suppose gun rather than frock. At that point in my life, I liked to be spoon fed and I liked stories with, you know, alien robots that were ideally from Scarrow and corridors and, you know, things that led to things that led to things. And this kind of reads like a graphic novel and it's more of an intuitive, emotional kind of dance rather than a linear story. And at the time, I thought, that's all right. I, I was more frock side, I guess, on that. So I, I was quite happy. Cause I, I, I know I was at, the new Avengers ran through university for me. So it was yeah, me too. Absolutely perfect. So uh, it was yeah started when I was in just at the end of my lower six and ran through till ninety seven. So like early, you know, dead end job type stuff. Mm. So I had the money to buy, it, which is great. <laughs> I was a strawberry picker. What were you doing? Uh, I was packing toys for Hasbro. <laughs> Oh, right. Well, that's, that's, you know, that's not bad. It, it was indoors. I, I don't do outdoor work. <laughs> <laughs> At least you got a tan. Come on. I did. I got really badly sunburned because it was all those um, corridors with all the plastic over them to keep oh, the yeah. fruit dry. God. And I was I was poached. Um, but yeah, so um, so we've got Roz. We've got I mean, do you want to try and summarise the plot for the benefit of the, the <laughs> listeners? Because I don't. <laughs> okay, um, it's order versus chaos in in late eighteenth century America. I like what you've done there. So I've gone for theme. Yeah. <laughs> this is where I've written a few things. It's theme for everything. Um, yeah. Is it, yeah. Okay. The Doctor and Roz lose, and the Amaranth, a, a Time Lord device which is mm-hmm. seized upon by an entity called the Carnival Queen, sorry, spoilers, to create uh, to create chaos and attempt to break through the universe and break down forces of rationality um, in, yeah, in New England, 1799. Perfect. That's pretty much what I had. So it's glad, I'm glad to say I was on the right track. I have subsequently become a lot more frock than gun. So now... I'm kind of reassessing the EDAs and and by extension some of the the new adventures and 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 kind of but um I think it's natural I, to go a bit more frock as you go older isn't it so I think it must as, be as you kind of because, experience the world a bit more Yeah everyone becomes cuz in the 90s I don't know about you and I'm not going to assume this is true of you cuz you've all, clearly always been a slightly more intelligent person than me but it was all about <laughs> maybe you know we Britpop and yes. and and men behaving badly and and Tarantino and all these things which it turns out really not so much. 
Well, I thought Tarantino did better with Jackie Brown, didn't he? <laughs> That's true. That was a good one. That was a good one. And it was just before he kind of went off a cliff. But yes. it was kind of a, a bleak time. And as a, a child of that era and a product of that era, I was quite um, not close minded because I was reading books voluntarily. But, you know, not not really a great. The, the, yeah, your your cultural hinterland wasn't particularly large. Right. And and as you get older and you and you you know watch good films and you and you see good plays and so on and you begin to become an acceptable human being on a kind of moral and emotional level. Roughly, um, I think I've got halfway there. Well, yeah, it's early days, but um, yeah, you do I think become more frock and 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 it's the it is the ideas and it is the more. Um, I don't even want to say experimental because I don't feel like this book. I know I know Lawrence Miles doesn't rate it very highly, but he maybe should. And um, it doesn't feel like an experiment. It doesn't feel very amateur for a first novel. I think it's really good. It is. I, I think part of that is where it's poaching some of the ideas from. Because it's where it's nicking everything from, I think, is probably everyone's. And again, as mentioned, I think on the Alien Body, was he a big Grant Morrison fan? And this kind of nebulous, chaotic entity is very, very Grant Morrison. It's nowhere near as big as Daniel O'Mahony, who basically doesn't even file the uh, serial numbers off. <laughs> just bungs, you know, Doom Patrol straight in and was it one issue of The Invisibles, I think, for Man in the Velvet Mask. Well, I've only read the Sapphire and Steel book, so um, I'm unable to comment on uh, on his wider oeuvre. Oh, yeah, I haven't read the Dodo, the infamous Dodo one. No, is this something to do with her getting a sex disease? Um, kind of. <laughs> she, she does. She does go and I, I think she shags the Marquis de Sade, if I'm if I remember rightly. She'd totally do that. That is very much the sort of character that. Yeah, it's it's per, it's perfectly encountered for what Why? we saw on screen, isn't it? <laughs> when you've got all those companions that probably would have had sex with the Marquis de Sade, and I'm looking at you, Vicky. Why would you? Why would you make Dodo do that? <laughs> I'd be interested by <laughs> interview. I cannot remember. It may have come up on the J Pagoda at some point, but I really don't remember that far back. <laughs> it is. It is kind of something you might expect from the new adventures, and it's probably yes. something that, that Space Bitch Ace would have done. But, oh, um, uh, or Benny would have. Benny never had sex. I really, really want to, uh, for reasons I probably shouldn't oh, sh- go into. I sh- really sh- want to. Sh- ben- sh- yeah, she shagged Jason at one Yeah, she shagged Jason. She shagged Jason. That's it. She One bloke in about 50 books. It was rubbish. Everyone she was. Yeah, haven't had Benny on a pedestal, didn't they? It was yeah, she's an ideal she woman. She's totally, it was her and Scully, and 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 the thought of them together. Oh, well, oh, see, hello. I, I bet she never had a hangover, or you know, uh, you know no, no bodily consequence of anything. <laughs> as as was it, they said, even Gary Nick, her farts must have smelt of roses. I think, in the nicest possible way. Absolutely, they would have. So, so reading it now, are you sort of more? Um, conscious of all the influences in the book and 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 where it's getting all of its real estate from, or are you more yes. forgiving of it? Oh, I, I'm always forgiving of it because let's face it, Doctor Who has always been a magpie of a series. 
it's always nicked at something from, something from what's current. And the current generation of fans nicking something from uh, from the, you know, Grant Morrison, who was, you know, I, I don't want to say sort of counterculture, but, you know, comics still wasn't a huge, the huge deal it was. Not the, the vertical line was cool. So it's nicking from the cool culture and putting it into Doctor Who. And I'm I'm always fine with that. I did think it was kind of very relevant to sort of recent times politically. Well, it's, you know, the, the Carnival Queen, the whole point is um, there's, there's one the well, I suppose that the main character through the book or the main antagonist through the book, who's not the Calvin Queen, who only comes in the last third or so, he's kind of very much on the side of what's called reason with a capital R. So he wants order in the world and and he tried and in doing so, he kind of has this amaranth, which creates a mini TARDIS or a or a fake TARDIS, I should say, and also has a deleterious mental effect on the general population. So mm. I think there's certainly something there about nationalism and populism underlying it all. And, you know, there are very much witch hunts against, uh, you know, against Roz and the other um, non-white population of the village and people who just don't fit in or who resist. So, yeah, I, I did find it quite relevant <laughs> to modern times in the yeah. US and the UK. Yeah. And it's probably I'm trying to I'm trying to remember what geopolitics was like in 1996 when all I could think about was, oh, God, I've got to read Sons and Lovers for Tuesday. I really and more so this time than when I first read the book. But I really loved the idea of the Carnival Queen. Yeah, it, it's it's actually a proper nursery for the Time Lords, I think. You know, it's the Time Lords are the people who keep the order in the universe. So therefore. Yeah. Chaos. And I think part, partly as well, I think it's taking the piss out of the rest of the new adventures. I think it does. I think, I mean, it, um, obviously it references quite a few stories and quite a few of them are new adventures as well. Mm. So it's not taking itself very seriously. No, but... the, the rumour was, and I've not counted, I was sort of trying as I went by, it has a rumour to every previous story in there. Now, I've found a resource on what I can only describe as the electric interweb that lists all the references that the people that wrote the list can find. So let's have a challenge. You shoot me a couple of uh, classic era Doctor Who stories and I'll tell you if there's a reference. OK, The Edge of Destruction. OK, The Edge of Destruction. Chapter seven is entitled The Edge of Distraction. Nice. Celestial toy maker. Celestial toy maker. There is no reference. Yes. See, it was a lie. <laughs> um, oh, let's go with Day of the Daleks. Day of the Carnival Queen mentions Daleks from parallel universes. Which is a, it's, it's I, I tenuous. Think, I think it was quite based on that being tenuous. And God, yeah. Uh, okay. Terror of the Vervoids. Terror of the Vervois. Uh, I want to. I want to pronounce everything with a French accent now. So it's Terror it? of the well, Vervois. Well, well, there's French um, people in the book, so go ahead. Vervois. There is a reference to the planet Mogo. Good Lord. Excellent. Um, 
Go on, two more. Two more. Okay. Uh, Doctor and the Bannerman. It's like a sort of really <laughs> <Yeah>. sad penalty <laughs> shootout. <laughs> uh, Doctor and the Bannerman, they've got nothing. Okay. Oh, they decide then, is it? Okay. Yeah. Right, let's go with uh, Megalos. All the way back to Megalos. That's, bear with me, I've got a lot of scrolling to do. There is a reference to the Prion system. Oh, Marvellous. So to summarise, um, they, oh, they haven't put a figure on it, but I would say, looking at this, there's probably 10 blanks in the classic era. Wow. And then it goes on to list another sort of 30 references to various new adventures. Now, I don't know how you could allude to or refer to that many things and still write a coherent book it it takes that skill i mean you know what you're in for from the first page because it's what the sun makers reference straight off the bat <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> it's so you know it, it, and i probably because obviously at the time i read this i'd grown up probably exactly the same as you i imagine as a, a peter davison fan and then someone who watched the Colin Baker era yes. and then a seventh doctor devotee. Um, that would be absolutely spot on. <laughs> I hadn't really gone back. So any references to anything that happened before full circle part one, I probably didn't get. So I didn't realize quite what a sort of nerd paradise this book really was. Oh, if it'd been novelized, I'd probably known it because I'd read the targets to death at this point. So I, I was quite tragically familiar with it. Although I, I think as well, the, the best new adventures of reference and piss take is the, was it the obligatory chapter titled after a pop song? Do you know yep. what the original title of that chapter was? I do not. It was, I, and I believe, and it's because they couldn't clear us. It was girls who want like boys who, who like uh, you know the blur lyric. Yeah, girls yeah. who want boys who like boys to be girls who do girls like their boys who do boys like their or girls like their boys. I, can't I wish they'd have cleared it. Oh, if I if I'd known, I'd have rung up my my you know hometown compadre Damon Albarn and said, "Oi, let them have it," and he'd have been, "Yeah, all right, whatever." Yeah, know. Oh. Doctor, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Not going to cost us a penny. <laughs> yeah, I don't give a shit. <laughs> um, wow. So, um, yeah, references to most of the other books. And another idea, I re I'm just looking at my notes here because I'm kind of just kind of, the more I think about this book, the harder it is to like find a coherent way into even talking about it. Oh, I know. But I love the idea that Time Lord criminals all get a dragon tattoo. Yes, nicked off, of course, be everyone's space. <laughs> yeah. So not only does it, it sort of now make Lisbeth Salander kind of canon yeah. in, a, in a way. Oh, but, I think so. Yeah. Think so, so presumably the master with his, because he turned into a snake in the TV movie, but oh, was it, maybe that tattoo kind of became... maybe Ainley had like a big snake on his. Was on it his like, furry was it like, chest. like the Mara tattoo? You know, did it just I reckon like... I reckon Ainley's would have been, yeah. Yeah. I, and he see... probably had like pork and beef tattooed on his knuckles <laughs> as well. <laughs> and that's just one time Lord Criminal. 
I think it would be hate JNT with Ainley. <laughs> oh, yeah, it could be that. Yeah, more cash. So in this book, we get the Carnival Queen, who, as as we said, I think is a really strong villain, a great idea that could have gone on to be a kind of ongoing um, adversary in the books. Yeah. So- um, but Lawrence Miles doesn't bother with that. He just goes away and comes back with Faction Paradox in his next couple of books. Grandfather Paradox uh- appears in this one. Yes, as so, the he escaped from the Time Lord prison. Yeah, so we've got Grandfather Paradox, we've got the Carnival Queen, we've got the Bottle Universe, which <laughs> at some point in the EDAs. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was so I was simultaneously reading the first few Eighth Doctor books, the the Virgin Benny novels, and you know, and Dead Romance, and I I can sort of vaguely remember there was something. About the oh, one of the universe, one of the one of the lines of books was set in a bottle universe or something. Uh, I th- yeah, I think that was Dead Romance, wasn't it? So yes. yeah. So he's kind of he set out his stall in this book. He's kind of shown you all of the tricks he's going to have up his sleeve for the next, let's say, ten years. I don't know how long. Because he no, he didn't write that for that long. I think his last one was Henrietta Street, and that would have been yes, two thousand and I don't know one or maybe two thousand two. So he was only really active for about seven or eight years. Yeah, cause hang on, let's, let's think about because this was ninety six. I think Alien Bodies was end of ninety seven off the top of my head. Yep. yep. Interference was I'm going to say it's all August ninety nine or so. I. Yeah, no, it probably was. I was going to say 2000, but I'm deferring to your superior uh, brain. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily do that. And then, yeah, Henrietta Sue would have been 2001, 2002. So, yes, it's it's a lot shorter than you think because he does kind of cast a long shadow on that. But I suppose after he went off and wrote uh, Faction Paradox, because it obviously goes and writes, this town will never let us go. What, what else? So in this book... Um, I really liked Erskine Morris and his foul potty mouth. Oh, it's brilliant. Hellfire and sodomy. That's, I <laughs> oh used God. that in a text message this very morning. Um, but I think my my absolute favourite is where he just goes, Satan's cock. cock. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's brilliant. It just, it's the character you don't get in Doctor Who. Someone who just swears their head off, essentially. Exactly. And it's so... <sighs> Not not wholesome. That's the wrong word. But it's, it's human, isn't it? There is a purity. There is an emotional purity, and that's always where I think Doctor Who. Um, uh, this is this. this is, uh, we're wandering into a corridor of nonsense now because I was about to say this is where it strikes me as unrealistic. But let's say, for example, that I'm Ace, and a bunch of Daleks come round the corner. Now, I'm not calling them a bilge bag. I'm going, fuck me, it's a bunch of dogs. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Oh, there's yeah. no one. I mean, the brigadier is another one. He, he was he was military. He spent all of his time hanging out with men and drinking beer. He'd have had a mouth like a sewer. Oh, oh him, Benton Yates. Come on. But yeah, so I thought it was really um, at the time it was it was that that thing of um they've put swearing in it to make it feel like an adult book but too broad I, and too deep for the small screen i'm less judgy about that now i really like it it 
it's because it's stylized. I, I suppose I don't know if it's drawn from the time. I presume it, you know, with with the religious references, it must be kind of contemporary on that. I guess. But yeah, it, it it's it's wonderful. It's, it's just again a very human reaction. If you saw something coming down the street, you would be oh Christ! Like mm, yeah, you'd be you'd be. Although there is one word here, I'm. I'm quite surprised they got away with. Which I, word I, is that? The, it, it, the, N? the the N word, yeah. Yes. Now they used that quite a few times, and um, we came across it in the. Uh, God, this is a test of memory. The Terence Diggs vampire one that I've completely blanked Let on the name of. Thank you so kindly. We talked about it a couple of episodes ago, and I think he used it once, and it, and it. It was a lot more upsetting, I think, because it was Terrence Sticks and because it yes. was kind of just used once. Whereas here, because you're not hit over the head with it, but it's it's used quite a lot. Mm, but it is set at exactly the time when it would have been the word people would have used at every turn. So I wasn't as mortified to see it as I was with Terrence, which is... No. A bizarre double standard. But, no, well, but, well, I remember when Exodus came out, people were objecting to the Seventh Doctor being said that someone was, uh, uh, or described a woman as Rubenesque. I yeah. like them Rubenesque. Like, well, he, what going, he actually said was, I like here? them big and bouncy, bouncy which, yes. is, which is the Seventh Doctor referencing the magazine Adrian Mole used to read. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, yes. So there's a deep cut for you. I see. I've read other books. Have you? Have you? <laughs> Some. Yeah, the stranger. You've read the well, the porn book that's well, that's four. got the eighth doctor in, right? <laughs> so this this book was in in '96. There was this kind of I don't I don't want to say half-assed, but kind of like not not like this kind of buried arc the side powers story oh arc. yeah it started back with i think sleepy and maybe one oh, or two other is, books is it bit in war child maybe there's there's some stuff in a little war child. Or two. um and then it's really this is the kind of the first big one and then you've got the death of art and so vile a sin and is, is there a bit in damaged goods Oh yeah, I, I I think there's a there's a couple of lines in damaged goods as well. So it's, but it's not it's all told in the wrong order and and yes, it's a very wonderful and moffaty kind of conceit. But I don't think it worked, and I'm I agree. I, but I'm saying I'm looking back, and as I've already said, I wasn't the reader or the critic that I that I even am now. Um, so it probably worked a lot better than I'm giving it credit for. I but, don't remember it doing But then again, I suppose the big the big climax to it gets delayed for whatever it was, six months. So that didn't help either. That really did. I, I, I couldn't breathe for six months. I was like, I know, what, like, what if it doesn't come out? Oh, have a gap. I believe um, Kate Ullman did not sleep for six months. I I, I don't imagine she did. Um, I know I know Ben Aronovich was still a bit uh, about it. I mean I yeah I had a coffee with Ben in about two thousand and nine, so that would have been 
10 11 or 12 years after and he yes. was still he didn't he did he got he got a bit oh I, I think it was it might be in david howe's big coffee table book on new adventure that might they they might have finally admitted that <laughs> there wasn't a hard drive failure yeah I th- but, well there, there are different hard drives and yes absolutely. Ends, i think i think was up there but so yeah the side powers arc kind of I think where it fell over was with the death of art, which again I've not read since, well, since oh. probably 2002. So yeah, so um, all the the watchmakers, I shouldn't even, I shouldn't even come in quite so casually for people that haven't read the book. The Time Lords are referred to as the watchmakers because they're the embodiment of kind of reason and order that the Carnival Queen stands. Yeah stands in opposition to so um we have the watchmakers we have the chirurgeons the the caillou the the idea of the shadow directory this kind yes. of uh the, the this kind of brotherhood on earth that's sort of investigating weird it, stuff like, kind of like like, like antibodies for the time yeah the time lords yeah um so that's kind of what's set up in this book and We'll, I guess, kind of, when I come round to looking at um, the death of art, we'll find out, I think, how it, maybe how it finishes up. Um, because I, I don't think there's too much of that kind of stuff in So Sin. I don't believe there was. <laughs> Not something that again, it's been so, yeah. years as I read it. So. so, so sorry, listeners, but if you wanted a a full and informed review of the entire Psy Powers story arc. That's not going to happen. Um, not till we get so well in the end. Not till we, not till we get to that. And that's, I mean, that's the other end of the alphabet. That's going to be, I'll be getting my pension by the time I'm recording those episodes. What you can say about it, and again, it's the way society's moved in 25, 20, I'm oh, sorry, 29, no, Al. 96 so 27 years i can do math somewhere it's kind of very essentialist on the genders it's men are these reasonable creatures of order and then women are just forces of chaos and you're going maybe (laughs) maybe it can work particularly with kind of the way kind of genders become kind of more more fudged the understanding of it as kind of a spectrum rather than just a you know biological absolutism yeah. it's kind yeah, of fine. it maybe hasn't aged that well but you can't see that coming because the 90s very much wasn't concerned with that kind of thing to any great degree i've just remembered there was one i guess the book that followed this was um return of the living dad yes graham the and spatula that, yes the spatula i remember it. it oh um because that was nonsense um, in much the same way that Happy Endings was. But at the time, I remember very specifically Happy Endings. I read that in one sitting on the balcony in the afternoon with a couple of beers. And that was probably the best afternoon I had in the 90s. Oh, it's, it's lovely. It's, you know, it, it's not particularly accessible, but as we said before, on this cast again, it's one of those who've gone, we're not likely to get any new new readers in at this point. Let's go hog wild. And it was yeah. wonderful. It was kind of like the payoff. And I did love that, you know, Paul got in, Paul got in all the authors to write a little piece 
and he tidied up all the little bits and pieces that were that were happy endings fundamentally. Yeah, yeah, it was it was quite a slay, probably as fiddly as with this book, getting all those references to the previous stories in. Totally, and so sentimental. These... I'm not sentimental, so I I did really like it. It kind of turns the rage from something allegedly grim, and it was quite grim in places, to something uplifting almost in retrospect yeah, yeah you know you can read that and go ah it wasn't terrible it, it, it's like um gareth roberts non-ending in the highest science can't re- redone thank god <laughs> could have just okay i've hit the word count bang <laughs> yeah and um what was um jim mortimer bell tempest that was another one because I I just oh, part of my brain's it, yeah. been thinking about terrible books in the ranges because we were having that oh, conversation God. about an hour ago. Yeah. But Bell Tempest didn't even reach the word count. I want to say it's one of the shortest books. Uh, yeah, and <laughs> it might be there's a deadline. Oh, <laughs> there you go, <laughs> and then it'll finish. But pa- yeah. I'm Parasite probably runs up that one of hitting the well, hitting, hitting the Parasite. Word kind of I feel like all they had to do was like walk through a weird kind of alien jungle and there were there were monkeys in hot air balloons and the doctor yes. almost regenerated but couldn't be asked in a, a Peter Capaldi kind of way and um, then it finished yeah <laughs> yeah was... so it, he was he was another problematic figure but we'll probably talk about him yeah. another day he, he, ha- he has two endings the running out of words or apocalypse <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> if he can't blow everything up, he's not interested. <laughs> so it's Mortimore, so, isn't it? Yeah, Mortimore. Um so yeah, so I think I think we've kind of picked all we can from the, the carcass hmm. of Christmas on a rational planet. It wasn't very Christmassy. No. Uh, it's... It was it was quite rational in places. But it was and certainly it was... on. It was on a planet. It was on a planet somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And uh, presumably at that point, so was the uh, the writer. <laughs> Another one, I don't, yes. I don't know where he is now. Um, he's probably still where he was, because I believe, yeah, in, in, in Middlesex somewhere. Ah. Hello once again. Ah, another Lawrence Miles book. My first since reviewing Alien Bodies way back in episode one of the podcast. But this time it's his first seventh Doctor story, and apparently his first ever published novel. Will I start to see the genius that apparently everyone else does? Well, let's get the bad out of the way. First, this is a book about order versus chaos, or reason versus superstition, or faith versus science, or man versus woman. It has big themes and strong metaphors, it has opinions, and Larry wants you to know what he thinks. So you'd better listen, because he's going to tell you, over and over and over again, until it sinks in. That's all very well and good, I don't mind a healthy dose of subtext. The problem is, some of it's all a bit clumsy, and other elements are just, well dare I say it, a bit dodgy. 
I don't buy this Men of the Architects, Women of the Chaotic Ones concept. I don't mind the gynoids, female robots that aren't created but just are. Sure, that's an interesting idea. But the fact that by being female they're less rational, I'm not having that. And in an infinite universe, are there really only two genders and men are the important builders? Sexist? Quite possibly. The first half of the book is also confusing to the point of being incomprehensible. Maybe it's deliberate. Maybe it's first novel jitters. Maybe I'm just stupid. But Miles seems to have the concentration span of a gnat. He flits between scenes faster than a weeping angel, so much so that you'd have no chance to digest what's going on before, zip, it's on to the next thing. It's like literary whiplash. I only just managed to keep up, and that was only after going back a few pages because I thought I'd missed something. Then there's the amaranth the most MacGuffiniest of MacGuffins, without which large sections of the story just wouldn't work. Sure, anyone can make things up to get their story going, that's fiction. But it takes a special kind of Lawrence to write yourself a rational device, which can warp reality and solve any knotty plot corners you might get yourself into. Okay, maybe I'm being a trifle unfair there. Lastly, don't ask me to name any of the supporting characters. Apart from that guy who was so tightly wound he might explode, none of them were even the slightest bit memorable. And if I have to read the word cacophony one more time, I think I will have screamed out loud and frightened my fellow train passengers. But after all that moaning, what did I like? Lots of bits and pieces, actually. Despite my criticism, the book does all start to come together in the second half. The Carnival Queen was an intriguing villain stemming from Time Lord prehistory and supposedly a representation of all their irrationality. Who knows if the tale she told was actually real or not, it could have all been a deception. And as we know from Alien Bodies, Miles likes wrestling with Doctor Who mythology and twisting it into new weird shapes. And it's no different in this book. So here, along with the origins of the Watchmakers, we also have the first mention of Grandfather Paradox, a bottle universe, and Time Lord Biodata possibly being played with. Then there's the peculiar, if slightly disturbing idea of the game Eighth Mound Bound, played away of bored young Time Lords getting a glimpse into their own future. Of course, the Doctor's only one of the Time Teens to see his eighth incarnation. Foreshadowing much? All that and a possible explanation as to why the third Doctor had a tattoo. It's all good fun and you can clearly see Miles putting his building blocks in place for the kind of stories he wants to tell in the future. I also enjoyed his consideration that the Doctor's defined by his companions and needs them to give his existence meaning. Something that the new series have picked up on several times. That, along with his excellent grand speech summing up why the Doctor does things. Reasons, principles, truth, love and harmony, peace and goodwill, the best of intentions. It all makes me think that Miles does understand the core character of the Doctor. Underneath all the radical concepts and challenging prose, he gets it. In fact, based on the two novels of his I've read so far, I'd say he's been more in tune with the Seventh Doctor than the Eighth. The companions also don't suffer too badly either. Both Roz and Chris get a bit of backstory, Roz perhaps more so, which is good for someone like me who's reading their stories out of order. Roz is also the more competent of the two. I can't see her fiddling with things she doesn't understand and accidentally destabilising the TARDIS. Speaking of which, the whole concept of the interface and how it manifests on the TARDIS walls was a lot of fun, as were the various rooms and corridors Chris encountered on his travels. I particularly enjoyed the fact that the TARDIS's library contains a copy of Passage to India, which contains a series of dimensional portals, each leading to a different location. On a more sombre note, Woodwick's witch hunt and its very localised apocalypse is definitely a reflection of some of the paranoia, conspiracy theories and hatred for the other 
that was prevalent in the 80s and 90s. And sadly, the same distasteful behaviours and cult-like ideas can be seen in the society today, with the current persecution of ethnic minorities and those in the LGBTQIA community. We're all doomed to repeat the mistakes and the hatred of the past, it seems, whether in literary form or the real world. Finally, I read that there's a fan theory that this book contains references to every Doctor Who TV story. I've no idea if that's true, but I did spot a few obvious ones, such as Chris mentioning that we can't change history, not one line, and nods to Quarks, Invisible Daleks, Morbius, the Tyrant Woodbeasts, and a bit of Venetian Aikido. Hey! So, okay, Mr. Miles, I think you won me over with this one. A few annoyances, but in the end, a pretty intelligent and original first story. What do you have for us next?